This episode of The Amazing Nerd Show is sponsored by Podcorn. Christian, we know life as a podcaster isn't easy. Monetizing your small independent podcast can lead to nothing but heartbreak and frustration. We didn't even know the first place to start and how to approach these companies. But then we found Podcorn, a marketplace connecting podcasters to amazing podcast sponsorship opportunities, such as host read ads, interview segments, topical discussions, and more. Damn it, with Podcorn, there is no middleman. Podcasters of all sizes can browse and choose opportunities right on the platform, set their own rates, and collaborate with brands directly without any exclusivities. You never give up any rights to your podcast, and Podcorn is here to support you at every step and ensure you're protected and compensated for the work that you do. And Christian, I love their mission statement. To give podcasters transparency, creative freedom, and full control of how and when they monetize. Click the link in our show notes to sign up for Podcorn and start browsing sponsorship opportunities today. Podcorn, connecting unique voices to unique brands. Nerds, it's time to suit up and nerd up. Launching Badass Rockabilly Track. Now updating Puzzle Solving AI. Time to save the world with some wrestling. Video games, movies, horror, and more. Launching ANS in 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, before we get started, listeners, this summer, we have a couple giveaways happening. The first one being a copy of Star Trek Discovery Season 3 on DVD. To enter, all you have to do is DM us on any of our social media accounts, that's at Amazing Nerd Show, with a screenshot of you subscribing to the show on your favorite podcast platform. That's right, Season 3 of Star Trek Discovery is now on Blu-ray, DVD, and limited edition steelbook. The must-have collection features all 13 episodes and also includes two hours of special features, included deleted scenes, behind-the-scenes featurettes, cast interviews, and a gag reel. Own Star Trek Discovery Season 3 on Blu-ray and DVD now from CBS and Paramount Home Entertainment. But again, to win your very own copy of Star Trek Discovery, all you have to do is DM us a pic over at Amazing Nurcho on either Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram of your subscription to the show. But speaking of the show, Damon, what are we talking about this week? All right, Christian, on this week's show, not only are we talking the latest episode of The Bad Batch, but we got movie reviews for Fear Street Part 3, 1666, Gunpowder Milkshake, and Escape Room Tournament of Champions. And if that's not enough for you, we got a little bit of AEW, a little bit of WWE, and a whole lot of wrestling rumors to go over. All right, but before we move on, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, give us a five-star review and DM us a screenshot. Not only will we read it on the show, but we'll send you some amazing Nerd Show swag. And for the rest of the month of July, if we choose to read your review on the show, we'll send you an amazing Nerd Show t-shirt from Tee Public as long as you live in the United States. Yeah, every review helps support the show, so we definitely appreciate it if you are able to give us one. If you're on Apple Podcasts, like most of our listeners, make sure to leave a five-star review, and we'll see it and read it on the show, of course. Let's get into the news. Every week, we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters. We're mere podcasters with opinions. 
Well, first up, Warner Brothers has casted its Batgirl. So this past week, there were a lot of rumors going around of a short list of actresses being considered for this role, but today it was confirmed via the rap that in the Heights star, Leslie Grace will be playing Barbara Gordon slash Batgirl in live action, beginning with a Batgirl solo movie that is set to debut exclusively on HBO Max, which I still don't get. Like, why isn't this theatrical? Like, I mean, does Warner Brothers just not like money? But anyway, um, we know things recently kicked into high gear for the film with the naming of Miss Marvel and Bad Boys for Life directors El Dil El Arbi and Bala Fala to helm the upcoming project. Uh, the Batgirl script is being written, written by Christina Hudson, uh, who worked on Birds of Prey and is currently working on the Flash film. So I don't really know Leslie Grace's work, but by all accounts, she's supposed to be a really talented actress. Um, and how awesome is it that we're finally getting a Batgirl film? I mean, I don't know. It, it's good news across the board. I mean, I haven't seen anything other than, um, I think, In the Heights for Leslie Grace, uh, which wasn't a film that I was super into. But I mean, but was uh, that her fault, though? I can't say, you know, <laughs> I, I don't feel like it was. But hey, because I remember you talking about that it was more of a script problem, I think. Yeah, but she definitely had the worst storyline of that film. So yeah, but she's not writing the fucking story as the movie I goes know, along. I know. <laughs> she didn't script the thing. <laughs> Listen, there's a part in that movie where they're dancing on the wall like they're like Spider-Man. And I just kept waiting for gravity to come in. That sounds like she's getting ready for the role of Batgirl, man. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. You got to fucking scale walls if you're Batgirl. So maybe maybe uh, the was... director saw that and were like, that's fucking Batgirl. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> it's like an audition for the role. Well, you know, um, young blood, new people in, you know, a superhero role is probably a good thing. I mean, I, I, I think I was seeing a post the other day where, you know, people were considering, you know, Hiddleston and Chris Hemsworth as like nobodies when before they even did Thor. Oh, yeah. And now they're like the biggest stars ever. So, I mean, you know, look, I mean, maybe this is her, her shining moment. Agreed. Well, up next, it looks like Marvel has found their director for Blade. So, according to Deadline, Marvel has tapped Basam Tariq to direct direct the upcoming Blade film. Uh, the report states that the deal between Marvel and Tariq isn't officially done yet, but Marvel is definitely high on him, so it's only a matter of time. Uh, Tariq is best known for directing the film Mogul Mugly, and we know he'll be working along with Stacey Osakafor, who was hired recently by Marvel to pen the script. And of course, Kevin Faki will be there as producer. Also, we don't currently have a premiere date for Blade, but I do know that production was pushed back to 2022. Uh, at least that was the rumor, so it's gonna be a bit. Up next, we have some huge casting rumors coming to the Obi-Wan series. So according to a report from Cinelinks, Soon Kang from Fast and the Furious fame will be playing the fifth brother, a recurring villain from Star Wars Rebels. Uh, the brother is a member of the Inquisitors, a group trained in the dark side of the force who use their skills to hunt down the remnants of the Jedi Order. Kang himself has been silent about the series, uh, but there was an interview where he did promise that his character would have a sexual deliciousness to him, whatever that means. Also, Cinelix reported that Vivian Lara Blair has been cast as a young Princess Leia. Um, according to this report, she'll be part of Kenobi in a big way, and she's pretty much the impetus of the whole show and what gets Obi-Wan into another adventure. Uh, series star Ewan McGregor previously teased 
teased the possibility of Luke appearing, uh, but that has not been confirmed yet. Uh, this series is set to premiere on Disney Plus sometime in 2022. Yeah, I definitely didn't think this is where we would go with Obi-Wan. I didn't I didn't put two and two together that he would also be dealing with Leia. I don't know why I felt like he might just have adventures here and around Tatooine dealing with Luke and trying to protect him. But yeah, it makes sense for him to you know deal with her as well. I guess it's a good way to establish the relationship you know, between Leia and Obi-Wan, um, since, you know, obviously Leia knows Obi-Wan somehow in A New Hope. I'm sure, you know, one of the legend books, like, told that story at some point. Uh, but when I do it now, I make a canon. Exactly. I mean, we all know the rule of Star Wars. If it's not in live action, it didn't actually happen. Exactly. <laughs> That's true, man. Because even in the Disney era, I think there are things that have happened in the stories and the comics that they've even started to kind of, like, you know, roll back or backpedal on. Um, I could be wrong, though. Uh, They've always done, like, a good job, like, managing their continuity with all the books and video games and everything like that. But, you know, when push comes to shove, I feel like they always end up, like, bowing down to, like, you know, the big or small screen. No, absolutely. I mean, like, even, like, most recently, I would say, you know, Disney has started to really, like, play around with, like, okay, this happened in this comic book, and this happened in this video game, and we want to make a little tie-in mm-hmm. through the, you know, live action. They're, they're piecing everything together, and I like that. I think it's pretty cool, but I do know at the end of the day, that could all be washed away in a second. <laughs> it's just, just It is it what is. it is, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I like what they've been doing with Legends, even though they've said that now that's officially not in canon. They're kind of picking and choosing, you know, the best parts of those stories to use, you know, in their current yeah. continuity. So why not have like the best of both worlds? Speaking of Star Wars, we got a rumor that a live action Thrawn and Ezra have been casted for an upcoming Ahsoka series. It wasn't too long ago that we had mentioned a rumor for a possible casting calls for both these Star Wars Rebels characters to join the Ahsoka series. And now LRM Online is claiming Mena Masood from Disney's live action Aladdin is set to star as Ezra Bridger. And Lars Mikkelsen, who was most recently in the Witcher series on Netflix, is set to play Thrawn. To add a little bit of fuel to the fire, Masood had quoted Ezra earlier this year on social media teasing his possible involvement, though I do have to say that could have just been him throwing his name in the hat since a lot of people had already been calling for him to play this role. And after all, who wouldn't want to be in Star Wars? And a couple more quick stories we got this week. Michael B. Jordan seems to, in fact, be developing a Superman project for HBO Max. In a report by Collider, Michael B. Jordan's production company, Outlier Society, have been hiring writers for a Superman title on HBO Max, which seems like it might be a limited series run. The report also says that the story they are writing is for a character named Val Zod, who is Superman on Earth 2 in the DC Comics. As of right now, though, it isn't clear if Jordan himself will be playing the role of Balzad in the series, but in my opinion, it only makes sense to have Jordan play the role. And lastly, we got another big rumor going around that not only Daredevil will be joining the MCU proper from the titular Netflix series, but Vincent D'Onofrio's Kingpin could be joining as well. Now, this one does come from Reddit, so keep that in mind, more specifically a moderator for our Marvel Studios spoilers, claiming that D'Onofrio's Kingpin will return in the upcoming Hawkeye series. As Marvel picks, you know, their 
favorites from the now uncanny defender series from Netflix, it looks like we could be seeing both Kingpin and Daredevil shortly. On top of that, the same report claimed that Hawkeye would be starting in November and overlapping with the December release of Spider-Man 3, which has also been rumored to have Charlie Cox return as Daredevil. I do want to see both characters, you know, really be added to the MCU as they were both phenomenal in the Netflix series. But honestly, we'll find out if any of these rumors are true at all because November's only a couple months away if you really think about it, and we still need to get news for not only Hawkeye, but Miss Marvel, like a trailer or anything could be around the corner any day now. Well, all right, Damon, you saw a movie this week. That's right, Christian. I saw Fear Street Part 3, 1666. Warning, spoiler alert. Spoilers for Fear Street 1666 ahead. You have been warned. And now, our feature presentation. The truth will follow you forever. In Fear Street Part 3, the origins of Sarah Fear's curse are finally revealed as history comes full circle on a night that changes the lives of Shadysiders forever. This was directed by Lee Yannick and stars Kiana Madiria, Ashley Zuckerman, and Gillian Jacobs. So the first two films of the Fear Street trilogy has been a bit of a mixed bag for me. For the most part, it's a fun horror homage to yesteryear filled with charismatic performances and an interesting concept. It just sometimes struggled to live up to its potential, though, when it came to like genuine scares and suspense. With that being said, part two did enough right to get me excited to see how the story of the Shadyside curse would end. And you know what? Not only is part three a satisfying conclusion, but I think it might be the best entry in the entire trilogy. The last we saw Dina and her crew, she was trying to reunite the severed hand of Seraphir with the rest of her remains in her grave, with the hopes to end the curse of Shadyside. But when she makes contact with the grave, she's transported back to 1666 to a colony called Yudin that would eventually become the divided towns of Sunnyville and Shadyside. Dina is now actually experiencing the origins of the curse through the eyes of Seraphir. In fact, the cast of the first two films are all here playing different roles of the colonists. This was a brilliant choice, if you ask me, really just allowing the audience a quick way to sympathize with these new characters, especially by tapping into parallels between Dina and Seraphir, I mean, without giving too much away. What takes place for the rest of our time in Union is an atmospheric dread-laced tale of paranoia, witchcraft, and good old-fashioned sadism. Once again, like the other two films, Part 3 pulls no punches, giving us what's probably the most horrifying effective scene in the whole trilogy. In this chapter, director Lee Janek shows that the core of these films is a well-crafted allegory about intolerance and systemic oppression. She does this by making it the literal root of the curse itself. 1666 is both heartbreaking and a story that has enough twists and turns to keep you on the edge of your seat. With that being said though, I do wish we had a little bit more time with our voyage into the past, but it did a lot to get me genuinely excited like to see how the conclusion of the trilogy would play out, story-wise, especially with some of the revelations when we flash forward. Uh, and this time out, I'm happy to report <laughs> when we do flash forward, it is far less more indulgent with the 90s of it all. Instead, they focus more on the group of survivors working together to overcome impossible odds in a thrilling, suspenseful climax that hit all the right notes. 
with this group dynamic that remind me more of something that you'd get out of Stranger Things than any slasher foray from the 90s decade. Lee Jennix once again pulls off giving us characters we want to see prevail and root for. This goes a long way in amping up the intensity level of the film, especially when it eventually crescendos in this epic monster mash at the end. Part 3 really just puts the perfect bow on this trilogy. Rich with not only classic horror, but social commentary that gives the story a deeper level of meaning that frankly I didn't anticipate. For me, this is when the genre is at its best, telling stories that really have something to say. And man, I really appreciate the uniqueness of each one of these films. And I'm just so impressed with Lee's ability to switch up like styles and tones and still have connective tissue to like make a compelling story that really just hit on all cylinders with its final act. So with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and give Fear Street 1666 a B+. I just hope that there are more Fear Street films, you know, with Lee at the helm, you know, down the road, uh, or even a show, because I still wonder if this would have been, like, better served as an episodic series, but that's neither here nor there. Definitely go check out the entire trilogy. It's streaming now on Netflix. And now, a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is presented by Early Bird. Early Bird is the simplest way for parents, family, and friends to collectively invest in a child's financial future starting at the earliest age. Early Bird's mobile app empowers parents and families to start saving for their child's financial future in a matter of minutes, while activating a child's broader community to gift contributions on birthdays, holidays, or any occasion. Christian, I know saving for my child's college education can be stressful, especially wanting your child to have the best opportunity available. That's why we're teaming up with Early Bird to give our listeners a free $15 investment to gift to a child you love. Simply go to partners.getearlybird.io slash podcast or the link in our show notes download the app and create an account today early bird build the nest and invest in the children you love all right christian you also have a film review for us that's right i sat through escape room tournament of champions warning spoiler alert spoilers for escape room tournament of champions ahead you have been warned You guys have played the game before? So what is this? Like a tournament of champions? Look, we all know how this works. We solve the puzzles or we die. Six people unwittingly find themselves locked in another series of escape rooms, slowly uncovering what they have in common to survive. Joining forces with two other original survivors, they soon discover they've all played this game before. Escape Room Tournament of Champions is directed by Adam Robitel and stars Taylor Russell, Logan Miller, and Deborah Ann Wool. To start, I came into Escape Room with some very low expectations, as the first film was arguably terrible. But I had a sliver of hope for them to go kind of like wild with this sequel now that they've gotten the rules out of the way. But unfortunately, Tournament of Champions couldn't even really live up to my lowest expectations. And the main reason behind that is because the film just consistently failed at giving me something or even someone to believe in. In the one scene that I actually did like from this movie, it kind of started off with this reintroduction to our survivors from the first film and their PTSD of the events that occurred. We get this kind of great moment with our first survivor, you know, going to therapy and dealing with you know, her feelings and thoughts about how everything around her is just a clue to whatever trap she's still in. But even with this fear of the whole world just being an escape room, they still 
easily fall into a new game with other survivors as they try to go after the company that did this to them. Hence, we get our Tournament of Champions that begins with a train car escape room that was shown off quite a bit in the trailer. Um, and it quite frankly was the most illogical thing I've ever watched. And at the same time, probably the easiest thing to solve. I mean, anyone who had watched Wheel of Fortune once in their life probably could have actually figured out the answer to the clue. But, you know, just the electrical current that actually goes through this train, you know, flying and sparking at everyone, honestly, just should have killed them all right off the bat. There just really was no chance of survival in that type of situation. And I just couldn't suspend my belief enough with that scene alone. And from that first trap, it just seems to fall down from there. As the script itself just seems to ask you to leave logic at the door and just watch this good time. <laughs> On top of all the games being illogical, the fact that those who have survived in previous escape rooms are just as dumb and poor at decision making as those who were first timers in the first film made the characters just kind of unlikable at times. You would get speeches about how smart they all are and then they just go and do something completely stupid to get either themselves or someone else killed. And as a horror fan, I couldn't even get into the kills because this film being PG-13 and a very soft PG-13 just aren't able to get inventive at all with any of this. In fact, most of them seem pretty cartoony at times. I honestly felt like there was more horror in the Scooby-Doo live action films than there was in this film. And unfortunately, the twist of the movie can also just be seen from a hundred miles away. I mean, they pretty much spell it out for you in the first five minutes of the film, and you'd think that they would do something more with it to like make it more exciting and interesting. You're just left with the main character trapped in her worst fear. I mean, to put it simple, Grade-wise, I'm going to give Escape Room Tournament of Champions a D-, and I feel like I wouldn't be so hard on it if the film just took its time instead of like taking every easy way out. The film just fails to give you any type of connection to these people who are trapped, and then fails to have you feeling like you're trapped in there with them, which is why films like Saw were so successful, because you could embody the victims. With writing like Escape Room, I didn't care about them, and with really dumb traps, I easily got bored. The idea is probably amazing on paper and has tons of potential, but this franchise should just remain locked away in a room. And by God, someone just throw away any type of key to it. Well, all right, it's time for some Bad Batch talk. We're talking episode 12, Rescue on Ryloth. Warning, spoiler alert. Spoilers for Star Wars The Bad Batch ahead. You have been warned. Omega, it's a big galaxy. We can't put ourselves on the line every time someone's in trouble. Why not? Isn't that what soldiers do? So I thought this was another great episode, and I'm just hoping that this isn't the only season we're getting of this show, because at this point, I'm just really enjoying it, and I want to continue to follow the story. But anyway, let's go ahead and get into this week's episode. So the show starts with Rampart taunting the Sindulas while they're in prison, really showing what kind of jerk he is. Uh, Captain Hauser lets Rampart know during this that he doesn't believe Cham has assassinated the senator, and he knows that he was framed. Uh, this angers Rampart, 
as real tension starts to grow between the two. I mean, I really do hope that they eventually address what is making Hauser so different than most of the clones, um, but we'll talk more about that later. Uh, the Bad Batch received communication from Hera, uh, who's in hiding right now, asking for help to rescue her parents. Hunter is surprisingly pretty reluctant, but uh, Omega takes a stand and convinces them that it's just the right thing to do. I was actually surprised here that they didn't, you know, put in this type of like messaging of what a soldier is versus what a hero is. Like I was actually kind of more like expecting, you know, a little bit more pushback against her when they were deciding to go back to the planet to help out um, with Hera. But, uh, you know, she basically just tells, you know, Hunter like, hey, you know, I thought this is what a soldier is. And he just kind of lets her believe that. Uh, which I feel like, I, I don't know, I thought they might just put in a deeper meaning behind, like, you know, the difference between taking orders and, you know, going out and, you know, being a hero. I thought there might be a little bit more play on that throughout this episode, but it is what it is. I mean, by the end of the episode, though, I do feel like Hunter is kind of learning, you know, to be more of a hero than just a clone soldier following orders, you know, and kind mm. of like think on his own. Because right now, you know, especially in the beginning of this episode, his thought process is kind of one note. It's all just about, you know, what's best for the squad and what's best for keeping Omega safe. Um, I think by seeing like others reactions to the events that are taking place, you know, he's starting to learn from that. It's kind of one of those situations where he's learning as much from her as she is from him. Yes. Absolutely. So after that, we see Rampart informing the citizens that their senator is slowly recovering. So apparently it wasn't a kill shot from Crosshair and only really meant to maim him enough to frame Cham and get him out of the way. So I'm guessing the only reason they didn't kill him was just to kind of keep him around to be their puppet. Okay, I guess I just misinterpreted that scene. I just thought he was lying. I thought that he was dead and they're just saying, oh yeah, he's, he's, he's just getting better. In the you know what? You might be right. I could be misinterpreting this scene, but I don't know. I trust Rampart here because why? What's the benefit of lying to the people? Like, it's probably easier to just frame Champ by, like, you know, having him actually dead, unless, of course, that they have use for him. You mm -hmm. know, and I still feel like they probably want to use the senator as a puppet. Because why? I mean, why really yeah. lie? Uh, I guess, I guess my mind was just thinking. Oh, if they, you know, blame Sham for the murder, then, you know, they think, oh, well, he probably had good reasoning. We don't trust the Empire. But, I mean, yeah. But then, because well, eventually they're going to find out he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. If he's dead, <laughs> right? But, I, I mean, it looked like a kill shot to me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It looked like it was straight in the head. Yes. I don't know. I don't <laughs> So, next we see the Bad Batch strategize on how to approach the mission. Here, they do make brief mention that non-separatist planets like Ryloth seem to be becoming militarized by the Empire, and that this is happening across the galaxy. Uh, Hunter, at this point, senses a probe droid watching them so he destroys it but it's all too late and it's already sent a message to you know crosshair and the elite guard uh hunter once again tries to back out of the mission seeing that the odds and the risks are just too great uh omega again pleads with him to do the right thing uh omega is really showing what kind of a compassionate person she is and i'm sure part of it is hunter just putting omega's safety first but I mean, he is coming off as a bit of a prick here. 
So we cut to a conversation between Rampart and Hauser. We find out that Rampart is actually rounding up any citizen that supports the Syndulas. Uh, Hauser protests this, uh, asking how any of the citizens are going to trust them if they're imprisoning innocent people. Uh, Rampart, though, just does not give a damn, uh, like a true Imperial. Uh, Crosshair then comes in and informs Rampart that Clone Force 99 is on the planet. Rampart just kind of shrugs this off though uh, and tells Crosshair to stay the course of his mission, an order he's going to soon regret. But still, this all feels like a bad play for Rampart because it, it seemed like 85% of the people there in that town are, you know, big supporters of him. I don't, like, there's not enough prisons for everyone, alright? <laughs> oh, you're talking about with, with him rounding up the people, the sympathizers? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, at least all the people who've been watching all, you know, all, like, two or three speeches. Um, they don't seem to be a big fan of the Empire at all. No. So, I mean, it does feel like, you know, I don't know. Maybe those are just more of the politically active citizens of Ryloth. <laughs> I don't know. I guess, but I mean, just like, if you're trying to avoid an all-out, like, uprising, this is not the move. Like, <laughs> Well, I mean, one thing Rampart definitely is, is arrogant. The fact that he still doesn't see the Bad Batch as a threat at this point is just, I mean, absolutely ridiculous. I mean, if he keeps on making these kind of decisions, I don't see him lasting like many more seasons. Like, I think oh, Tarkin <laughs> is going to get sick of him really quickly. Uh-huh. So in the next scene, we see a conversation between Hera and Omega as Omega tells her how to convince Hunter to go along with the rescue. During this, we get a real insight on how Omega actually views the Bad Batch as her brothers. Um, you know, it's something we pretty much already knew, but it was a nice moment regardless. So meanwhile, Captain Hauser is back talking to the Syndulas, just letting them know that he's there to help and that he's actually on their side. Uh, he wants to find Hera first before the Empire, uh, but the Syndulas let him know that they no longer trust him and then just kind of shame him for everything that's happened. I really did feel bad for Captain Hauser here because he's kind of between a rock and a hard place. Uh, he's just trying to do the right thing. I mean, God forbid the, the Syndulas were around like during Order 66 where these clones were actually just murdered Jedi in front of people right? like, like it was nothing like imagine if they had saw Hauser do something like that then I think they should shame him yeah here he's he's legit helping like he's doing the best he can while in this position he seems like a good guy yeah, I don't know. <laughs> he seems like a good guy who's just stuck in like a middle management role and has no control exactly. we've all been there so we cut to Hera and Omega telling the Bad Batch their plan. They want to cause a distraction by taking out the cannons at the refinery. This will allow the Bad Batch then to rescue the Syndulas undetected. While on the mission though, shit kind of goes awry and we see Hera have to use her piloting skills or lack of to take the cannons out herself. It was pretty cool seeing Hera have to learn on the job, knowing like the highly skilled pilot she eventually becomes. There's also a moment where Tech teaches her how to take out a signal, something we see her do like multiple times during the Rebel series. So I don't know. I just love that full circle storytelling that Star Wars always does. So while all this is happening, the rest of the Bad Batch free the Syndulas, but not before Crosshair figures out what's going on and orders a troop of clones to cut them off at the exit. Hauser then, behind closed doors, breaks ranks and informs the Batch that they're walking into a trap. So this is really the first time we've seen 
a clone other than the Bad Batch and Captain Rex, like defy an order and act completely independently. The Bad Batch thank him and want Hauser to come along with them, but he refuses being the loyal friend that he is and he wants to stay behind and talk sense into his squad. So as the Bad Batch leaves, we see Hunter quickly look back and I'm wondering if Hauser's actions are, is just starting to like give him maybe hope for the rest of the clones and maybe even crosshairs. It was definitely a look that had meaning behind it. So when the doors open, Hauser gives a speech trying to convince the squad what they're doing is wrong. Some of them, to my surprise, actually start putting their guns down. But then, of course, Crosshair just has everyone arrested. Uh, I was just relieved that Crosshair didn't just mow everyone down in cold blood. Uh, this is kind of the first evidence, though, that we have that the clones are capable of fighting their chips and their programming. I just thought this was a huge development and I can't wait to see how it all like unfolds at the end. Yeah, I was completely taken aback by the fact that they were able to even consider disobeying this type of order um, and making this type of decision on their own. Yeah, right before um, this, I was like, what are you fucking guys doing? You know that those clones are not going to listen to them. You got to tell yeah. them, like, let's go, man. It's a lost fucking cause. <laughs> get out of the ship with us and let's get out of here. But, I mean, he did somehow reach, you know, some of his fellow clones. And I don't know. Like, I, I really need them to start explaining what the fuck is going on. I mean, mm -hmm. are is, are the chips, like, starting to lose effect somehow on them? Like, are they starting to regain control? I don't know if just the directive of Order 66 was only for one mission and then maybe going on from there. But it doesn't seem like that would make sense, cause especially since... How we just saw with um, Wrecker yes. before. He just immediately starts attacking. I don't know. It's... Wrecker became a fucking monster. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. like, it took every ounce of will for him to stop from, like, you know, killing Omega right away. Like, he was able to barely hesitate for a moment so Rex could come and take him out. You know, and if Rex wasn't there, Omega would have been dead. Mm -hmm. So, like, how are these clones able to, like, you know, just defy orders? outright no i don't know I, hopefully they explain something because yeah that doesn't doesn't add up just yet <laughs> i think we will eventually like i still think we're going to get a, a clone uprising here and that's going to kind of speed up the whole transition between like you know clone trooper to stormtrooper oh and one more thing i was actually a little surprised by crosshair here um you know he did set up for them to you know come out this one way but i felt like you know after a little while of waiting Crosshair would have, you know, known to go somewhere else and be there for them because mm -hmm. he, he knows the group. If they were not like rushing through the mission, they're probably heading somewhere in a different direction. I don't know. It just seemed a little seemed like he would be a little smarter in this situation, but I don't know. Maybe. I mean, maybe subconsciously he's trying to let them escape. But then I don't know why he would Possibly. volunteer to do what he volunteers to do at the end. You know, uh -huh. if that was the case, but we'll get there. So at the end of the episode, we see the Bad Batch and the Sudulas all escape. Uh, Crosshair has this I told you so moment with Rampart, and Rampart actually agrees that he underestimated the Bad Batch. Crosshair, being the sick bastard that he is, requests to personally haunt them. <laughs> uh, and Rampart agrees and lets him off his leash finally. So shit's about to hit the fan on the Bad Batch, and I am here for it. Uh, also, Hera and Omega have a nice little moment, kind of foreshadowing that they're probably going to end up meeting again somewhere down the line so yeah at this point they have to like find a way to deactivate you know his chip um crosshair's chip 
because he's gone. He, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. He's just gone. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, do you think there's going to be a twist, though, where they go to deactivate his chip and they find out that the chip isn't even, like, operating at this point? That he is just I mean, a I, fucking monster. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like that twist, but I don't I don't think they're going to do it for this show. Nah, yeah, it might be a little too dark. Uh-huh. Um, my guess, like, last minute, they'll finally, like, reach him. He'll do something to kind of save everyone and, like, sacrifice himself and die a hero. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of giving him that redemption arc. Yeah. Because um, I just don't see him rejoin the team, especially after, like, all the murdering that he's done. <laughs> so and I know there's soldiers and everything, but like, once again, he was killing fucking like innocent civilians in cold blood, you know, unarmed. Yeah. So it's going to be rough. It, what are the chances of him being the, you know, doom for Rampart? Maybe we'll see. I mean, if you think about it though, it's really like the classic arc for all the star Wars villains, <laughs> you know, that last moment of redemption, at yeah. least for the Skywalkers. So I don't know. I could see them going that route. Or, I mean, maybe you're right. Maybe subconsciously he is, you know, trying to help the Bad Batch out. Maybe he is, like, fighting, like, the chip here. Because, I mean, what you're saying does make sense. Like, he should be able to predict their next move, especially when they're Mm -hmm. taking that long. So, I mean, maybe he is, like, choosing to go on the hunt, but then he's also somehow going to aid the Bad Batch and help them, like, escape the Empire. I don't know. I mean, it feels a bit of a stretch, but <laughs> it's it's like this is his way of trying to reach out to them, even though like a part of them is trying to kill them. Yeah, but, but like you said, I, I feel like Hunter is going to realize, OK, well, if Hauser was able to fight mm-hmm. off the effects of the chip and disobey orders, why can't, you know, Crosshair? And then we also know that they have a procedure. So what's stopping the Bad Batch from trying to capture Crosshair and, like, do the procedure on him. Well, I mean, I guess till this point, he's been surrounded by the Empire, so it's probably not been easy, especially when he's trying to gun them down at every five That's seconds. That's true, but I... Um, to capture I just him. feel like eventually we're going to get there. Uh, but overall, I really did enjoy this episode. Um, I felt like there was so much happening, but I did enjoy, like, everything we got between Hera and Omega, mm. you know, and seeing kind of, like, those origins of her, fl- you know, flying and stuff. I, even while watching it, I was like, Jesus Christ. Christ, thank God you become a better <laughs> pilot in the future. <laughs> and she becomes one of the best pilots, you know, that yes, the Rebels have. Uh, so, I mean, I don't know. Um, so do you think we're going to eventually see Omega, like, pop up on, like, you know, I, I don't know, another series? Um, I definitely think it's possible, especially with everything that we've seen coming out of Rebels now becoming live action. But at the same time, I... I have a weird suspicion that by the end of this series, Omega won't survive. Not this season, but well, you this want to series talk about fucking whenever. dark, man. <laughs> I know, but <laughs> we can't give her a happy ending. <laughs> no, no, that, that's too much happiness. <laughs> it is Star Wars. Yes. This podcast is sponsored by Podbean. Podbean is the easiest way to create your own podcast. We use Podbean to host the amazing nerd show. Download the free Podbean podcast app to start, record, and publish your very own podcast in minutes. Podbean provides everything you need to run your podcast, and you can record and publish episodes directly from the app on your phone. Make sure to download the free Podbean app today. That's right. P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Check it out. 
All right, Christian, what's the other film you watched this weekend? I watched Gunpowder Milkshake. Warning, spoiler alert. Spoilers for Gunpowder Milkshake ahead. You have been warned. I'm going to do terrible things to you girls. We're going to bring the sky down on their heads. If I get out of this alive, I'm coming for you. To protect an eight-year-old girl, a dangerous assassin reunites with her mother and her lethal associates to take down a ruthless crime syndicate and its army of henchmen. Gunpowder Milkshake is directed and written by Navat Papushadow and stars Carrie Gillian and Lena Headey. This was a film that caught my eye with its kind of like Edgar Wright styled trailer. It looks super stylized and fun with its neon lights and banging soundtrack. But sadly, I was led down by Gunpowder Milkshake as all the sweet stuff to like about it was watered down by an hour and a half of bland action scenes and a slow moving story. Gunpowder Milkshake's strongest feature is its leading stars, Karen Gillan, Lena Headey, Carla Gugino, uh, Michelle Yeoh, and Angela Bassett, who are five women living in this kind of John Wick style world. When Gillen's character Ava kills an innocent man who was basically just kind of framed for stealing this money from the company she works for, you know, she ends up having to go and save and protect his daughter and ultimately gets her into even more trouble as Ava's murderous ways get the attention of a powerful family out for revenge. Each character has some awesome attributes and all play badass assassins very well, but unfortunately their performances are hindered by terrible pacing and editing issues along with a paper-thin storyline that attempts to show a kind of redemption arc for Ava over the course of one night that just doesn't seem believable. But I think the reason that is is just because they didn't focus enough on its story beats. Instead, the film chooses to go and do these over-the-top action sequences, which normally I'm not one to complain about. You know, I dig a whimsical action film. But the stunt and fight choreography for two-thirds of the film was just awful and hard to watch and was also plagued by this ridiculous amount of slow motion. I mean, this director was looking to give Zack Snyder a run for his money with how much slow motion was used and the slow motion choices themselves were painfully uninteresting shots. Cinematography was not this film's strong suit at all. Shot selection seemed as cut and dry as possible, something I'd more expect from a first-time college student just getting their hands on a camera. But while the first two-thirds felt like watching paint dry at times, the final act feels like it was filmed by an entirely different crew, which just makes me wonder if it was all just kind of a budgetary type of situation as the ending fight was quite enjoyable and a better use of everything in comparison to the rest of the film. Better choreography, better slow motion shots, better cinematography as a whole that just highlights all these characters and makes you want to see more from all of them. And just as you're feeling like you want to see more, the film then drags you back to its main story plot and it's very paper thin and you're just, I don't know, I, I just couldn't believe Karen Gillan's character became this, you know, redeemable person by that point. It just didn't work for me. And unfortunately, one third of a good movie isn't something I can necessarily recommend for our listeners to watch. But I will be giving Gunpowder Milkshake a C- because of how effective that last act was as a whole. Well, now it's time for Christian's Corner. Yeah! 
This last week in gaming brought back one of my horror game favorites, Dead Space. According to Eurogamer, a remake of EA's horrific sci-fi slayer has been in the works for some time by EA Motive. This is said to be a remake from the ground up and set as a next-gen experience entirely. While there is no plans to make a follow-up or new entry in the franchise, if this does well, I could of course see a Dead Space 2 remake in the future, somewhat likened to how Resident Evil has been remaking their earlier entries. It has been rumored lately that EA is looking to capitalize off its more nostalgic game experiences in its library, and Dead Space is a prime target in my eyes and could easily do the sales that Resident Evil's remakes have done, just as long as EA holds up on giving us a truly remastered experience and not some cheap shit. Personally, I would hope that this this would bring a renewed interest in the franchise, though I can't imagine them making a better game experience than we already had gotten from Visceral's first two entries in this franchise. And after all, it's EA where they kind of like to cut corners when they can. I just still think Dead Space has a running potential at being a great franchise. Also recently, in a letter to their investors, Netflix claimed a heavy focus on entering the games of a service field, with a start at like giving subscribers mobile games. As reported by The Verge, Netflix looks to expand more into interactivity similar to Black Mirror's Bandersnatch experience, as well as begin providing a game experience to their subscribers as a whole. This is all a part of a long process they plan to take into getting into that kind of games as a service. And again, while I I think it's a bold move by Netflix, I fear that they will be starting at kind of a major loss since they won't have anything in comparison to Xbox Games Pass. I'm just not sure if Netflix has it in them to hold out and really like perfect this while you know something like Games Pass is going to be running wild out there. However, if they were, I could imagine them being great competition down the road. It's kind of just like an interesting time as we see all these types of games as a service being developed by different companies. But anyway, if you're interested in more of the gaming side of the Amazing Nerd Show, make sure to stop by our live streams on Twitch that happen every Thursday through Sunday at 12 noon central time. This week we will be premiering a new series this Thursday in our Yakuza gameplay streams, as well as bringing you two PCW events with our uh, Go Home Show on Friday and on Sunday our second special event called Ascension where three world titles will be determined. You're definitely going to want to check it out. Make sure that you're following us and you can subscribe for free using your Amazon Prime account. This week's episode of The Amazing Nerd Show is brought to you by Manscaped. Breaking news, this important PSA is brought to you by Manscaped.com. This is your public service announcement and the news you've all been waiting for. The Manscaped engineering team has confirmed that they have successfully created the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, which is now available for purchase in the USA and Canada. This new trimmer was just released only moments ago, and we're one of the first to get our hands on it and share the news. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and use our exclusive code for our listeners and get 20% off and free shipping with our code AMAZING at Manscaped.com. I was absolutely blown away by the new lawnmower 4.0's performance. The craftsmanship and details on the 4.0 are next level. Their advanced ceramic blade and skin safe technology is so good that it almost seems as if Manscaped worked with Elon Musk's engineers to ensure your testes are as safe as possible. Christian, I'm a hairy bastard, and one day my wife said enough's enough and got me my very own Manscaped lawnmower. 
I went from being a Wookiee to being as smooth as Lando. So you know my Bad Batch was more than ready for the next mission when I got my Lawnmower 4.0. You may be asking what makes this trimmer different than all the others? Well, a new multifunction on-off switch can engage a travel lock created for people who like to travel. The Lawnmower 4.0 gives you the ability to turn the 4000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. The new trimmer even allows you to customize your trim all over through additional guard lengths with sizes one through four. And looks wise, it's sleek with a two-tone matte and gloss finish, and it even features a hot foil stamp black chrome Manscaped logo, so you can show off your mower loud and proud. The optimized lawnmower 4.0 trimmer is waterproof, so you can groom in the shower and not have to worry about making a mess on the bathroom floor. Did I mention wireless charging? The lawnmower 4.0's new wireless charging system uses electromagnetic induction, which can help battery length last longer. If you're still trimming your face with your ball trimmer, it's time to make some changes. Get 20% off plus free shipping with our code AMAZING at manscaped.com because no person wants to end up with pubes in their mouth, and gentlemen, your balls will thank you. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com, and use our code AMAZING, that's A-M-A-Z-I-N-G, to unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Bro! 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 All right, Christian, it's been a crazy ass week in wrestling. Uh, this past weekend, we did have the Money in the Bank pay-per-view. Uh, and honestly, it was probably the best WWE pay-per-view we've had in a very long time. Um, across the board, really great fun matches. Um, everyone busted their asses. I, you know, it was more of a case of the wrestlers just overcoming shitty booking. But I mean, it was a great show and definitely boosted by the fact that it was in front of a live audience, finally. And I think because they were at full capacity, um, even though it was a smaller mm -hmm. arena, it, it definitely like, I don't know, outdid WrestleMania when it came to just the sheer like energy coming from the crowd. So, I mean, just a great night overall. So we did plan on doing a full review for that card, but Christian did not actually get a chance to watch it. And I'm going to blame Peacock here because I just got home late that night and I wanted to start it like halfway through and I can't. Yes. I have to either watch it live or not. I was like, well, I want to watch it from the beginning. So I tried to wait until it ended. And of course, I started falling asleep. So just fuck fucking just didn't have time well and then let alone they actually had tons of technical issues um oh, peacock shit. ended up i don't know something happened with the feed or something for me it started around the uh tag title match uh with uh aj styles almost in the viking raiders uh, mm -hmm. but i was able to log out and log back in and then it was fine I, that's just oh, what okay. i do whenever i'm having like issues i thought it was on my end but come to find out it was everyone. <laughs> so a lot of people were struggling, you know, with it. Um, a lot of people ended up mm -hmm. just stop watching it or watching it later on. So you weren't alone. So regardless of you not seeing it, I was still planning on coming down here and giving it a full review. But then Christian raw happened and it was like Vince mm -hmm. McMahon took all the goodwill from fucking Sunday 
put it in the middle of the ring, then came out, dropped trowel, and fucking just took a shit on it. Because it was literally everything I've hated about the last two years with the booking all in three hours. Like, it was a fucking shit show, Christian. I kid you not. Like, I'm sure you've seen the highlights. <laughs> yes. I mean, we got rematches for the sake of rematches. Baby faces acting like idiots. Uh, NXT talent just getting squashed for no reason. Uh, John Cena returned, which was cool. But then fucking Bill Goldberg came out. So now we're going to yeah. have two main events <laughs> at SummerSlam with basically part-time talent. Because, hello, we're WWE and we don't know how to make current stars anymore. So, like, I was fine, honestly, with Cena versus Roman. It, it made sense story-wise. But <laughs> Goldberg versus Lashley? What? <laughs> I don't know. Just, I mean, Jesus Christ. I mean, the, I guess the one match I had issues with uh, during Money in the Bank was Lashley just squashing Kofi for no reason. Um but I thought maybe because I heard the rumors about Goldberg coming back, but I was trying to just, I don't know, wish them away, <laughs> I guess, um, hoping that, you know, with Big E winning the Money in the Bank, which was a huge moment. And that Money in the Bank yes. ladder match was fantastic. So I definitely recommend going and checking that out. Um, I was just hoping with Big E, like, you know, winning that Money in the Bank, that he would be the next challenger for Lashley. Um, especially since, you know, what he just did to Kofi and he's been kind of feuding with the New Day over the past, like, you know, month. So I was like, OK, well, this mm -hmm. makes sense story wise, you know, and just once again, just praying that the Goldberg rumor was bullshit. Well, it wasn't. <laughs> of course, before Goldberg made his big return, you know, Lashley had to go ahead and just destroy Keith Lee, who's been off camera, mind you, for, I don't know, like four or five months at this point. <laughs> mm -hmm. So he makes his big return and he just loses cleanly in the middle of the ring in a matter of like three or four minutes, um, you know, barely getting any like offense in. I don't know. It was just a waste, a huge fucking waste. <laughs> you know, when he came out, I got excited for a second and then all of a sudden it dawned on me. Oh, I'm watching WWE. Yeah. <laughs> He's just going to get destroyed. Um, and that's what happened. So he rolled out of the ring. Goldberg came out. Fans did pop. Um, I do eventually think they're going to turn on this, though, because mm. all we've seen from Goldberg is him losing like the last like three or four times this has happened. Like, why does he get to continue to come out here and challenge for the fucking belt? I don't know. Like, it just doesn't um, make any sense. Like, I, it would make more sense if Lashley said, no, what the fuck have you done? You know, like it just like we saw him do this with fucking uh, McIntyre. We saw him do this mm -hmm. with fucking Braun Strowman, right? He did this with The Undertaker. Like, he comes back for one match and loses. That's happened, like, four or five times now. So all that equity you had built up in him, you know, from, like, the one big, you know, title run he had. Or not big, but, like, you know, the one WrestleMania title run he had where he lost, you know, at WrestleMania to Brock Lesnar. But people were excited about that match, at least. That's all gone because that was, like, three or four <laughs> years ago. So I don't, I don't forget that he beat um, Bray Wyatt. Oh, that's the right. He came back. He beat well. Bray Wyatt. Yeah. Yes. The Fiend, who was actually arguably like your hottest baby face at the time. He beat for the title. Mm -hmm. And then he just lost the belt to fucking Braun. Right. <laughs> who was just filler for Roman at that mania. 
right? I, this is just a fucking mess. Like, stop giving it's him title mess, shots. <laughs> like, I don't think anyone cares about him anymore. You know, I was never a Goldberg fan, even back in the late 90s in his heyday. Like, I've always seen him as a one-trick pony. So I just mm-hmm. don't get it in general. But I feel like all the nostalgia and everything like that at this point with him, like, is gone. And I, I think the mystique, you know, for Kern fans is also gone. So I just don't know why Vince keeps on relying on him. But that, Christian, wasn't the worst thing about Raw on Monday. The worst thing they did was they took the NXT champion, the champion who hasn't fucking lost a match since he signed with the WWE, the champion who fucking manhandled like five other talents in the last NXT takeover. He was booked so strong that I thought, this must have been some kind of edict like handed down from like the top brass in WWE, like to keep him looking this strong. Like I can't imagine like NXT, like Triple H wanting him to just destroy half the roster like this. Um, but no, I was wrong because they, or maybe I was right. I don't know <laughs> because they they had him debut. They announced his debut, first of all, on mm-hmm. that episode of Raw. I was like, oh, shit, this is a weird way to debut. No build up, nothing, you know. And we heard rumors that he was like working dark matches and shit. But they gave everyone about a 20 minute warning that Karrion Cross was debuting on Raw. NXT title and all. He shows up bare bone entrance, no scarlet. And we find out that he's facing Jeff Hardy. Jeff Hardy, mind you, whose record is something like I don't I think it's like six in like 35 or something over the last, you know, 40 some matches. So like he's been basically a, a fucking glorified job guy, which is absolutely ridiculous. Don't get me wrong. I love Jeff Hardy, but I mean, he's not your hottest like, you know, wrestler right now at the, at the moment. No, not at all. So I see Hardy come in. I was like, oh, they're going to have him beat him. You know, someone with a name. Oh, no, Christian. <laughs> Absolutely not. Stupid me. <laughs> they have Jeff Hardy beat Karrion Cross in under two fucking minutes. <laughs> two minutes, I Christian. Don't get it, man. Two fucking <laughs> two minutes. Two minutes. This guy destroyed the NXT roster over the last fucking year. It's insane. Two minutes to Jeff Hardy? Yes. I mean, basically, it's rest in peace, NXT. Because, like, basically what we're seeing is just, I don't know, is, is the death of NXT. Because there, there's no way you can make an argument to me now that NXT is the third brand. Mm-hmm. Because Vince doesn't see it that way at this point. Like, it, it's just a glorified, you know, developmental, like, territory for him. He's treating NXT like he treated Ohio Valley. You know, he will pull... Those wrestlers up, no matter what the fuck they're doing there, storyline wise, no, no matter what their characters are, you know, he'll pull mm-hmm. them up and do what the fuck he wants with them because he sees them as developmental like talent. He doesn't give a shit about what NXT's doing, you know, and it's it's hard to get invested with that TV show, at least for me. And I can't speak for everyone, but I think other people are having this problem, too. It's hard to get invested with that TV show, knowing that, you know, once these wrestlers get called up, they don't really have much of, you know, a chance or a future on the main roster. 
Like you can't trust that you're going to see this same character be successful on the main roster. I mean, sure, there are a few talent that have been able to overcome, you know, Vince's booking, like maybe mm. Riddle right now. I mean, Ripley had the title, I guess, but I still feel like they didn't do much with her. I feel like she was more over on NXT. Um, but it's always a struggle regardless of who they are. So I just it's it's hard to get invested in NXT because it's just a glorified developmental territory at this point. And it sucks because it wasn't like that a couple years ago. You know, I've seen people speculating that like he's literally just punishing them for losing to AEW in the ratings. <laughs> I think that's a little bit much. But I mean, it, it just I mean, there's no argument that he doesn't give a shit about what NXT is doing, at least with the storylines, mm. you know, or he's just, maybe he's just lost it. I don't know, <laughs> but he's making me lose it. Like I'm losing my mind watching this shit. And I just I, I, I don't know, man. I'm just over it. I fucking over it. No, it's it's weird. It's like NXT is just this weird dystopian future that just has no place to yes. go. I mean, it's either the superstar dies on the main roster or it becomes a lifer and you get bored of seeing them do the same five matches over and yes, over Yes, because that's what's happening so. with fucking, you know, Johnny and fucking Ciampa right now. You know, mm -hmm. Adam Cole. Like, we, we're getting sick of seeing, like, the same matches over and over again. But at the same time, we don't want them to go to the main roster. No, like, never. I felt so bad for Finn seeing debut on yes. fucking SmackDown because I was like, oh, this motherfucker is going to be smiling again, you know, and he's just going to have to just grin through it all. Mm -hmm. um, my God, I don't know, Christian. <laughs> I was feeling so good after Money in the Bank. I really was. <laughs> I was all ready to fucking give it a great, you know, star rating. I, but I, I don't know. I just feel defeated now. I feel defeated, you know. <laughs> and honestly, we're running out of time and we still want to talk about AEW. So yes. fuck it. Let's just move on. <laughs> let's just move on. Whatever. <laughs> so I apologize, but it is what it is. All right, so we, we had night two of Fighter Fest. Let's just talk some highlights because we do want to get into the rumor mill because, you know, shit's been going crazy right now. Um, but what were your overall thoughts on Fighter Fest? You know, I love most of what we got. I think there's just, you know, moments here and there that just don't, like, don't excite me too much right now. Like, I, I don't care too much what's going on with Orange Cassidy and the bunny and the blade yeah. and stuff. I think that needs to come to an end pretty quickly hopefully um i haven't seen enough of wheeler to get behind you to wheeler yet to really get behind him and he's now what lost two minutes yeah but you know what though so, i feel like he's gotten over and losing like he's really been able to show off his talents because that guy has some fucking skills so and I, I think that they're featuring him to kind of show that against like you mm -hmm. know really good talent um yeah but yeah it is weird booking i guess but the fact that he's not just you know wrestling on dark night after night shows you that they you know see something in him no i hear you because I, I was like oh back to back weeks uh, they must see something yeah. in him to want to like have him here so yeah it is do you think he's eventually going to turn on orange because they're setting up the whole teacher um, pupil thing it seems like absolutely i don't i don't know if he fits with the best friends just yet i don't know i feel like he would turn on them mm -hmm. i have 
that's just the the vibe. I get at least someone's turning yeah, on someone. Yeah, because he feels like he's just like subbing point. like for Trent right now, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I don't know. Other highlights. The big segment I want to talk about is um, Andrade coming out. You know. We get Chavo first mm-hmm. of all um, showing up at AEW, which was a, seemed like a great moment for him. I love the yes. crowd reaction he got because I honestly don't know the last time I saw Chavo. Like he hasn't been on mm-hmm. WWE TV in years at this point, um, which is weird because I feel like everyone yeah. eventually comes back for something. Like even when those stupid reunion shows. So I don't know <laughs> if there's some kind uh-huh. of heat there or something. It's weird. Um, but I know he was. Well, I think he's been working in other promotions. Well, he and was stuff actually like a producer too on that Glow series, the Netflix series. So, okay. but he was—I mm-hmm. believe he was doing something with Lucha Underground, also at one point. So, yes. I mean, but I—I mm-hmm. I just haven't seen him a while. So, I was happy to see him. I do feel like he's a better fit for Andrade than um, Vicky Guerrero. So, and it, it, it kind of makes sense yes. storyline <laughs> that you know it's in the family with you know at least so. Um, but we'll we'll see where that all goes. Yeah. Um, but we also had Death Triangle come out. Um, you know, pretty much you know antagonizing him, like say, hey, we don't you know back down to anyone. And he offered them all a job underneath <laughs> him, which you know, first off, he started off that whole promo with you know Tranquilo. He's he's doing a lot of those you know those classic Los things that we know from like his mm-hmm. past, and like he was a big leader uh-huh. at one point. I think it would be cool to see an L I A E W, if that if that was a place that they could go down the road. I know we would probably have to eliminate Pack because I there's, don't think Pack's going to ever be There's a good chance that's going to happen. I'm going to tell you right now. I feel like uh-huh. <laughs> I feel like those guys are all going to turn on Pack. So I, I agree 100. Oh, yeah. <laughs> percent I'm all for the stable though. That's going to be a badass stable, mm-hmm. honestly. And Chavo, I think, will make a great manager for them. Yes, yeah, you know, and a fantastic mouthpiece too. Because Ch- Chavo is actually underrated, I believe, on the mic. No, yeah, I agree with you. I don't think it's going to happen, you know, next week or anything like mm-hmm. that. But I feel like it's definitely happening within this yeah. year. Like, I could totally see them all working together. It, it just makes sense. No, I'm, I'm all for it, man. I'm all for it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they have tons of stables. Don't get me wrong. But we know that they're supposed to be introducing a trios belt soon. So, I mean, what what perfect timing, right? But anyway, what did you think of Jericho's first match and that whole, what are they calling it? The MGF's Trials of something or not? I something don't know, like whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I like the setup for um, it, though. I do. He had a face-off against Sean Spears. Uh, the stipulation was that Spears could use a chair, and he couldn't. Um, I thought it was a good match. What were your thoughts? You know, I, I think I'm a little dumb. I thought it would only be he's allowed to use one chair, like one specific oh. chair for some reason. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be weird. <laughs> I was like, he's grabbing all these chairs. This is against the rules. But yeah, no, it, it was fine. Uh, I thought the match was okay. I, I, I didn't have a problem with it. I, I thought the competition between Jericho and Spears was fine. But with Tully, I, it was a little weird that like um, Sammy Guevara was able to come out antagonize Tully while MJF is right there on the stage, like right next to it on commentary. I was like, why isn't he getting involved in stopping Sammy from going after Tully? He likes to hear himself talk. I don't know. I agree. (laughs) I guess. (laughs) I agree. Well, you could also make the argument where's the rest of the pinnacle too. Right. True. Uh, I was fine with it though. I get it. Whatever wrestling. (laughs) 
that's my excuse for shit I don't care about. But, you know, <laughs> it was fine. It's interesting, though, that it seems like the inner circle is refusing to put their hands on Tully. Have you noticed that? Because last week, uh, right, Pro- Proud and Powerful yeah. wouldn't touch him. They said they respect their elder. And then this week, Guevara, like, wouldn't touch Tully, if you notice. Like, he just kind of, like, just walked him up the ramp almost. You know, so I don't know if eventually it's going to get to the point where the inner circle does, <laughs> you know, beat on Tully. Like, that's the big payoff to this. Mm-hmm. You know, I maybe they just feel like it's the baby th- face thing to do, like, you know, not to beat on your elders or whatever. But no one wants to see that. Right. Tully's a jerk. So, I mean, I, I think it's eventually going to come to a head and they're going to, you know, just beat the shit on Tully for something. So, um, but yeah, no, I, I, I thought the match was fine. I thought it was a good way to start off, you know, uh, Dynamite. The crowd was mm-hmm. fucking really into it and everything. Um, but I didn't expect what happens next after the match, after Jericho overcomes <laughs> the odds. MJF gets on the stage and tells, you know, Jericho that he's basically going to have a death match next week. And then he starts going through the attributes of his opponent and at first, I thought he was just kind of mocking him, but then I realized, oh no, he's fucking hyping up Nick fucking Gage. Okay, <laughs> I, like, I, I I was just I was flabbergasted because <laughs> Nick Gage is not ready for fucking prime time TV, you know. So I mean, Tony Khan must just secretly be a fucking like deathmatch fan. That he's willing to risk well, having Nick Gage. But no, Christian, you don't understand. This is like outlaw death matches. This isn't the shit that we're seeing right now, you know, that, mm. that's safe to put on fucking TNT. Like, this is like hardcore, hardcore shit. Um, the stuff that I'm not even comfortable watching. So <laughs> I mean, I'm really curious to see how this goes. Um, Gage came out. I don't even know if he knew where he was at. Um <laughs> It's just screaming at the fans and everything. Uh, I don't know. It was a cool moment. The crowd seemed to be into it. Uh, later on, we had Jericho saying that Gage wouldn't be facing against, you know, just Chris Jericho next week, that he'll be fighting none other than the Painmaker. And he turned around the camera and he had his makeup on and his little hat and his spikes so and I laughed. I, I, I had an audible laugh. I was like, this I like is... I, whatever. <laughs> it was it was like, like a cactus I, jack thing. Come on. I I liked it in New Japan, but when he makes it sound like this is a different version of himself, I don't know. And and it's the a face darker, he was more making, violent version. I, it didn't it's just him in face makeup. Whatever, whatever. man. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> it was fine. Uh, uh, I guess he hasn't established that this is like another persona. No, he has not. But if Foley has like three faces of Foley. I mean, really, Jericho has like fucking what, like 12 faces of Jericho? Yeah. So it is what it is, man. He can can do what he wants. It's going to be fun. (laughs) Whatever. Um, I totally think that um, Nick Gage is his idea, though. Oh, absolutely. He was on his podcast. He was on his podcast. Oh. <laughs> oh, no. I don't think Gage was on his podcast, but he had a bunch of deathmatch wrestlers on his podcast, and they were talking uh, about okay. Gage. And then I think mm-hmm. he narrated his fucking uh, Dark Side of the Ring. <laughs> so, because Jericho does the narration for it. So, check uh, out the, that Dark Side of the Ring. I highly fucking recommend it. I mean, it's just a different side of wrestling. Because, I mean, I'm an old school ECW guy and everything. I dabbled with the Japanese deathmatch shit, you know, with Funk and, you know, Cactus Jack. 
Mm. But this is just another level. Like, another level. I mean, to each his own, <laughs> it might be a little too much for me. But, I mean, you're a sick fuck, Christian, so you might like it. <laughs> this match has to go on last, though. I don't see how anything else can follow, you know, a death match. So that that I'm guaranteeing that match goes on last next week. That's going to be on TV, too. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I, yeah, I'd have to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Gage <laughs> uses fucking pizza cutters and shit. Yeah, no. It's going on last. <laughs> Well, I mean, speaking of death matches, we had a, you know, more safe for TV version. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes, we did. With the Texas death match between Lance Archer and John Moxley, where we finally saw Lance Archer go over. Uh, finally. I think my favorite, favorite part about all of this, though, was the seven year old in the front row watching everything happen with his dad. <laughs> it's like, oh, this is a great bonding moment. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's a lucky kid. Um, yeah, I know, right? I would have loved to have been there. Uh, but yeah, it was it was a fun match. I think um, 15 minutes was a good amount of time for them because uh, I think too much, there would be too many spaces and stuff like that. Uh, so I, great back and forth, but and probably one of Archer's better matches so far in AEW. But He's had good uh, matches. It's just, once again, like the fact that he never ends up winning the big ones mm-hmm. always makes it feel like he's the boy crying wolf. It's like, well, how threatening are you really if you always lose those major matches? So I'm happy that once again, he finally got the win here because I was like, I mm. can't watch this dude lose another fucking main event title match. Um, so, I mean, I, I applaud Tony Khan for letting you know him go over on Moxley. But they did end up setting up a match between uh, what Tonga's brother, his younger brother, uh, Haku's son. I can't think of his fucking name. Hakulo? Hakula I don't know like how that. to say his name. I mean, last time I saw him was a couple years ago on New Japan, and he was super fucking green. Apparently, he's been working strong, though. So hopefully he's more seasoned now. Um, mm-hmm. But they're going to have their match on Dynamite. So, Which is crazy. Yeah. Because <laughs> I assumed at first that the match would be on, you know, strong. But yes, I don't know. I mean, maybe the program ends up going to strong Maybe, you know, he ends up winning the belt from Archer, you know, and that's their way of getting the belt back, you know, with New Japan. Um, But I don't know. I found it all interesting. You know, he had his Bullet Club shirt on and everything. He was in the Mm -hmm. crowd the entire night. I forgot how fucking tall he is because he he towers (laughs) over Archer. Um, It was crazy to see Archer looking up at someone. It was just it was nuts. But I'm going to warn you, if he's anything like he was like three years ago, (laughs) he's fucking green as all hell. So um, it's it's been three years. It's that's 365 days. He's been in the gym, man. He's been training. He's been getting ready. First of all, three years is not 365 days, man. I'm saying 365 days a year. Okay, gotcha. Times three. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It's like, you stupid motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, it's really late right now. Uh, (laughs) But I don't know. Maybe we get a great match. I'm hoping for the best. But we'll see. I just like that these, you know, metaphorical forbidden doors just seem to be getting wider and wider opened, you know? Because, uh-huh. I mean, like, what? Um, Gallows came out with the Impact titles um, to th- this episode. Or how about Jay White showing up? Jay, Jay White showing up at Impact yes, last weekend? Or, or what? No, it's Slammiversary, right? But, yeah. yes, it was Impact Slammiversary. I, yes. I, <laughs> is Impact the name of their show, too? 
They just got rid of TNA, right? Yeah. They're just Impact. Yeah, they just got rid of TNA because okay. everyone Regardless, was making fun I'm of I'm going to stop being a dick. Yes. <laughs> yes, he showed up on Impact. He had a face-to-face with Kenny. Um, he's supposed to be, I, I, I believe, on the shows this week. They did something more with White. I think, actually, they had an Impact talent join the Bullet Club. Um, I could be wrong. I just kind of read a headline quickly, <laughs> so forgive mm. me. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm curious to see if White ends up showing up on AEW because, I mean, why wouldn't you want him on AEW, right? Exactly. Especially if he's in the States, might as well. Yeah. I'm sure they're working up some type of contract. I, I hope so. So, but yeah, that, that door seems to be wide fucking open. Uh, but yeah, overall... Great episode of Dynamite. Um, maybe not as good as the last two weeks, but we are missing the Young Bucks. Cody and Malachi Black were on the show this week. So they didn't even have like some of their like bigger stars out there. And it was still a fantastic show. Oh, and I, I'm expecting another one next week when we get Fight for the Fallen. That's right. I forgot about that. Do we have any kind of like announced card for that? Well, uh, we do have the big match, which is the elite going up against the Dark Order, which we saw a little bit of a tease this week off. That's right. That's right. So that is happening at uh, Fight for the Fallen. Yes, it's a 10 man elimination <laughs> tag team match. That's going to be a clusterfuck. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Nothing's ever come good out of a, a fucking 10 man tag match. So, mm. and the stipulation is if the Dark Order ends up losing, they lose their uh, chance or opportunity to get a tag team title shot from uh, the Young Bucks. And Adam Page, which is, you know, the biggest part of the stipulation, loses his fucking title shot. Um, I don't know. I'm curious to see where they go with this. Um, I think my favorite moment of tonight was the Dark Order saving Adam Page's beer, by the way. I thought that was amazing. I didn't even <laughs> catch that. <laughs> yeah, um, he came out with a beer. He almost finished it, and then he started fighting. Somehow, that beer survived. Until, like, he passed it to, I think, Callus at the beginning of his fight with them. And then the Dark Order came out and somehow handed him back the same beer he came out with it was, just, it was a great little moment <laughs> that's hilarious i mean could we see page lose here in the dark order lose and then have to earn his like title shot some other way yeah but i just think i feel like they don't want to do that i feel like it's at this point you know we've built up enough time where page can't have you know a solidified match but they'll just announce it hey it'll be at this date yeah, you know, which is going to be all out. Yeah, yeah. So, but I mean, yeah, he could lose, and they. I mean, there's plenty of weeks till September when that's going to actually happen. So, or could he lose and have to build it up. Again. Or Christian, or could, <laughs> and this is pure speculation, but could some of those rumors we're hearing right now come true? Page ends up losing that title match at All Out, and then lo and behold, either. CM Punk or Daniel Bryan come out and challenge Kenny Omega at All Out, you know, for that title. And then Paige kind of gets put on the back burner and has to earn his way, you know, back into the title picture again. I don't want that for AEW. I don't. I don't want, you know, the big stars from outside of AEW coming in and taking a moment away from Adam Page. Like that, that would be very WWE, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think eventually they're going to get those title shots. But yeah, I agree. Yeah. I don't want to see that right away. But if they feel like the bigger match for All Out and All Out's already sold out. 
But pay-per-view-wise, if they feel like that bigger match is, let's say, Punk, who's not confirmed at all. You know, right now the report is that there's just talks, like strong talks going on between AEW and, you know, CM Punk. It's one of the sources was WWE. I was like, well, is this really just WWE, like getting people's hopes up so that they're disappointed (laughs) when it ends up not being CM Punk? Because I could I wouldn't put that past them, let's just say. I mean, because that match would attract an outside audience other than just like hardcore AEW fans. So, but I feel like CM Punk just being on the card would do that too, and you could have him go against like a big star, Damon, and it would be fine. Damon, it's we've been talking about CM Punk returning to wrestling for six I years. Know. I'm not gonna get my hopes up. I'm not gonna. I know, agree. Any type of rumor. I agree a hundred percent. I agree a hundred percent. But you never know, Christian. You never no. know. Now, and you remember, there have been big teases by Tony Khan recently. So, but, you know, we've had him do that before and it ended up being Christian. Uh-huh. Not that there's anything wrong with Christian, <laughs> but, you know, people were going like the CM Punk route. Uh, uh-huh. All right. So Daniel Bryan. So there's actually a story out there being reported by like a lot of different sites um, as we speak that just came out like a couple minutes ago saying that Daniel Bryan has actually signed. Now, AEW has uh-huh. not confirmed this. Daniel Bryan or Brian Danielson, if you will, has not confirmed this. Obviously, could we see Daniel Bryan step into the title picture? Because once again, it might not be the best match, you know, we believe for AEW. But if you're talking about buy rates, you know, and getting that outside audience's eyes on your product. I mean, that might be the case. Mind you, know you I, I don't do want that. <laughs> but you I could see I that happening. Um, I would have it where Paige wins the title, all right? He wins the title at All Out. Um, and then Kenny Omega, pissed off that he's just lost his first title match while he's being the collector and all that shit, he starts attacking Paige at the end of the match, right? Mm-hmm. Big save comes in. The American Dragon, Brian Danielson, you know, takes out Kenny Omega and them. We get, you know, that there, there you start your like months of programming where you have Paige, Brian working together and then eventually Brian, you know, wanting a title match with Paige. So the rumor is that uh, Brian Danielson is going to actually debut at the New York show at the ah, um, okay. Arthur Ashe Stadium. So that's the rumor. Now, you know, is it against Kenny Omega or is it against Adam Page? I think you can go the Omega route, even if he doesn't have the title. Yeah. Because I feel like if Paige is going to face Omega at All Out, I feel like he kind of has to win the fucking title. Yes. You know, I feel like that's a natural storyline, right? (laughs) You know, it's almost like an Archer situation. So Mm. um, it would just be too fucking heartbreaking if he doesn't win the belt. Uh, But yeah, no, I agree 100%. I would much rather have Paige and Omega at all outs. I mean, Paige has earned it and everything. You know, he's more, I mean, he's not a homegrown talent, but I mean, he's an AEW talent who's been there since day one. You know, his story has progressed to this point. It's just accumulation of the perfect storm and it makes perfect sense for the story. So that's the route I would go because I feel like you could find some other dream match if those guys do end up wrestling or if they even show up on all out or on that new york show so 
I mean, if you get CM Punk, you definitely have him be the one to do the save at the end. Because you're yes. in Chicago, so people would fucking go even, like, extra ape shit. But <laughs> that's if you get CM Punk. Because, like you said, uh-huh. we've been hearing this for fucking eight years now, right? So, And honestly, if, I, if Punk were to show up, I'd rather Punk just attack Page himself. <laughs> well, you might have a situation where he makes a save, then he turns on Page, too. Oh, yeah, true. So, I mean, that's basically what happened with Moxley, right? Didn't he come out, attack Jericho, and then attack uh, Omega? Oh, maybe. I don't fully remember that moment. Yeah. <laughs> but I do remember it's hell of a moment, the though, paradigm right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, I don't know. I mean, regardless of what's happening, you know, over in New York right now, I mean, life is good as a wrestling fan. Yes. So, it, it's a fun time, you know, at least to be an AEW fan. <laughs> I just feel sorry for all those WWE wrestlers because they're having just to overcome such bad booking, man. Jesus Christ. Yes. Oh, my God. (laughs) And that was another. Like He was spotlighted so nicely during that ladder match and really just got over with a crowd and everyone remembered Mm. how awesome he was. I remembered how awesome he was. And then I don't even think he was on Raw the next night. (laughs) You know, like Uh, like he was spotlighted so nicely. I actually thought he could win the match. (laughs) That was never going to happen. It was never in the plans. Fucking Otis won last year. (laughs) True. (laughs) So, uh, but yeah, no. Well, I'm fucking tired, Christian. (laughs) Let's call it a show. Well, that does it for this week. That's right. And as a friendly reminder, if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, Remember to subscribe, rate, and give us a five-star review. Exactly. It sure does help an independent podcast like ours to continue to grow. And while you're at it, make sure to tell a friend. Plus, if you like any of the stories we talked about on this week's episode, make sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to catch the full articles, trailers, memes, and more. That's right. You can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show on all social media platforms. And hey, if you're looking for extra content, make sure to catch our streams every weekend on Twitch, plus YouTube videos Monday through Friday. Want to support the show further? You can head over to tpublic.com and get yourself some amazing Nerd Show merch. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd swag if you live in the United States. Well, all right, Damon, what are we talking about next week? All right, so next week we'll be covering the latest episode of The Bad Batch, and we'll also have film reviews for Snake Eyes and M. Night Shyamalan's Old. That's right, and we'll also be talking AEW's Fight for the Fallen. My name's Christian. And my name is I'm Fucking Tired. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. Good night. I'm tired of this, Grandpa! Hashtag-